0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of NHS in Stitches, the podcast, produced by Waltham Forest Save Our NHS campaign group. We are unashamedly pro-state funded and provided healthcare, free at the point of use and available to all. We are fighting and campaigning to stop the erosion of those founding principles and the hidden privatisation of our NHS. We are not affiliated to any political party. So this is a kind of introductory episode. We will talk about where the idea for the podcast came from, what the regular format will be, and plans for the future of the podcast. We'll be kicking off a couple of the regular spots and have some comedy clips from our live show along the way. So where did this podcast come from? It's a spin-off from NHS in Stitches, a fantastic sell-out comedy show we presented at the Hackney Empire in 2015. Like the live show The Aim of the Podcast, is to get information out to you about what is happening to the NHS, but hopefully in an accessible way. There is so much restructuring going on behind closed doors and in secret without public consultation that changes how you and your loved ones will access care now and in the future. It's hard to get to grips with it all, so we'll be utilising some of the intelligence gathering being done by fantastic individuals and campaigning groups up and down the country and bringing it to you straight into your ears. You can look up the live show on YouTube, just search for NHS in Stitches It's great with loads of fabulous comedians who all came out to support the campaign. We also had animation films and even spitting image puppets. I'm waiting for the time for the public to rise up that list because when I talk to people, they say, oh, the NHS, they can't touch that. And I'm like, no, they have. It's happened. And people can't seem to quite believe that it's possible for this great
1: institution to be eroded.
0: Francesca Martinez there, who was fantastic at the show. Later, we have more clips from Stuart Lee, Nish Kumar, Lucy Porter and Mark Steele. Hopefully, this will be the first of many podcasts. Each episode will have a feature section examining a particular subject in some depth. Later in this episode, we kick off with describing the restructuring of the NHS, beginning with the Health and Social Care Act of 2012, and how this dramatically transformed the government's role in providing health care to you, the public. The next episode will look at accountable care systems, organisations, partnerships, whatever the government decides to call them this week. These so-called organisations, secretly being imposed on our health system, are directly paving the way to privatisation, especially giving private companies control over decisions about what care is available to you and me and who it's provided by, moving us closer to a US-type system. Other episodes will look at private finance initiatives, how closing or even downgrading an A&E department affects a whole hospital, the issue of merging social care with health care and much more. Other spots in the pod will include some myth-busting. The media and government often produce a lot of spin to massage facts or shift attention from what's really happening within the NHS. Things like the NHS is strapped for cash because of so-called health, tourism and migrants using the NHS or that funding is going up each year or that accountable care systems are all about integrating care, that sort of thing. In another spot we'll be meeting with people who use the NHS and telling their stories. We will also be meeting with and talking to healthcare professionals to find out how things are going for them.
2: Obviously this is a very important cause, it's one uh, particularly that I feel close to uh, because I actually had to use the NHS a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, doing the washing up and a glass exploded and it slashed my hand here and I had to go to hospital. The NHS staff were amazing, one of them called me a brave boy. which is good because I was being one, so I don't know why you're all laughing now.
0: Thanks Nish. There will be a regular bit on campaigning, what's been going on and what's coming up so that hopefully you can join in. No pressure though, as Lucy Porter says in this next clip, it's not always easy to know what on earth to do about all this, but doing something does help with the despair and every little counts.
1: I have never really talked about my personal politics in my act, but increasingly I am just because it is an obsession that I think a lot of my friends are sort of we're becoming increasingly (laughs) radicalised yeah yeah.
2: in the right way in the right yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm not flying to Turkey but yeah the uh, yeah we are I let myself sort of slide from being politically active and I think you know I'm not saying I've slid to the right I know people always say it's a bit of a cliche that you get more right wing as you get older I don't think I have got more right wing I think I just sort of realized that being left wing is a lot more effort Because, do you know what I mean? Even if you're quite moderately left-wing, like I am now, you know you have to do. You have to do. Like I went on the demo for the NHS. You know, there's always a petition to sign. There's like a bake sale for Venezuela. Can you come up with something gluten-free by Tuesday? You know, and it's uh, (laughs) a. But, but it's worth it. This is what I'm... I'm increasingly... Yeah, it is worth it. Because, I mean, you know, it is easier being right-wing. If you're sort of, you know, a Tory, you just have to sit at home reading the Daily Telegraph, occasionally pen a strongly worded letter to the BBC. But, you know... Although, obviously, not... If you're very right-wing, then it starts to become an effort again because there's boots to be polished, uniforms to be starched, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but I do I kind of think it, it's specific, specifically the NHS as, a, as an issue is something that I really can't ignore. And I have sought to become better informed. Again, politically, I've let my, my sort of level of knowledge slide. Because I used to know, like, up until my 30s, I would say, I always knew, like, you know how when you're younger, you always know what's in the charts. Even if you don't like chart music, you always go, well, I know what's number one. And similarly with politicians, I always used to know who was in the cabinet, the shadow cabinet. Whereas now, people are like, oh, what do you think of Ed Sheeran? And I'm like, Shadow Cabinet? Is he? <laughs> They're all Ed's aren't they? You know, Lady Gaga, Tory leader of the House. Sam Smith, that nice lady who's in charge of the Greens.
0: As promised, and as a bit of an introduction to some of the fundamental changes to the very foundation of the NHS, and a lead-in to the next episode's section on Accountable Care Systems, here is a piece discussing the Health and Social Care Act of 2012.
2: The Health and Social Care Act was passed in March 2012. The aim is to replace the NHS with an insurance-based US-style system. Government duty to provide universal health care has been scrapped. Clinical commissioning groups have been set up and forced to tender all NHS services. Private companies can now run any NHS service. 49% of our NHS resources can be used to treat private patients creating one queue for the rich and one for the poor. The act was fiercely opposed by the medical profession and NHS workers. They knew what the act would lead to. A risk assessment commissioned by the government and leaked to the press warned we might lose our comprehensive service that the act would lead to widening health inequalities, reduction in quality of care and increased costs. But you can't read that because the government defied a court order under the Freedom of Information Act and refused to publish it. Despite these warnings, the Act was voted into law. The changes that it forced through have cost billions. Money that has been diverted from patient care. Medical staff have been made redundant and the remainder have had their wages frozen. Services are being broken up, making it harder for medical professionals to share resources and work together. But easier for private companies to pick off profitable services, leaving the unprofitable ones to wither. Hospitals are being starved of funds, run down and closed, or handed over to private companies. Communities have been fighting back. Lewisham took the government to court to save their hospital and won. So the government passed another law giving it the power to close any hospital without consultation. All over the UK, people are standing together for the founding principles of the NHS. They are making a difference. Although private healthcare providers now earn more than a quarter of their income from the NHS, they say the pace of privatisation has proved disappointing. Our NHS is the fairest, most cost-effective and cost-efficient healthcare system in the world. Because it was created for need, not profit. For patients, not shareholders.
0: When the group discussed what we should cover in the podcast, the one thing that came up most was why we feel our NHS is worth fighting for. This is a big political and philosophical question that really can't be answered in one go, so this will be a thread running through all the episodes. On this subject, this time, we'll begin to discuss the philosophical argument. We'll have a look at some private health companies' shenanigans around the world, then have a look at how centrally organised healthcare can affect the health of the world, and then have a look at what impact a universal healthcare system can have on a local economy. So why fight for the NHS and its founding principles? My instinct is that there is a moral imperative to have a system that cares equally for people regardless of their financial position. Our system in the UK allows for a sharing of risk. Why should any person be dumped with the whole financial burden of funding expensive treatment for cancer or long-term conditions like dementia when a shared system like ours lightens that load and removes the chance of penury through bad luck of genes? Here is a little clip from an interview with Stuart Lee, recorded after the Hackney show.
3: I think it's really important, sort of philosophical point that you know, after the war, uh, there was a sudden realisation from the uh, establishment that uh, ordinary people had put their lives at risk for the for the uh, for the security of the country, and that were stakeholders in it, rather than sort of pigs to be farmed for its benefit. They were they were stakeholders in it, and that the state ought to take. An interest in them, and, and the health service goes back to that idea. And I think it's a core idea of um, what it means to live in a civilized society that we have a responsibility to each other, and people with more contribute to a system whereby they're looked after, and that uh, system should probably not be run for profit, yeah. even if you can say the the little amounts of profit are very small. I still think the philosophy behind it should be that in a civilized society, the state should have an interest in the well-being of its of its people. And I know that there's all sorts of issues at the moment about population are living longer, uh, there's a birth rate explosion, how are we going to cover the cost of this? Um, but that isn't what the, 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 the uh, uh, philosophical objections to the health service at the moment are about the free market versus the responsibility of the state. And we have to cut right to the core of that and not get bogged down in other arguments and hang on to the fundamental belief that it's an important thing.
0: There is a growing push from government towards a private US system in this country. More and more private companies like Virgin Care are taking over more and more of our services, making a huge profit and taking money out of the NHS. The track record of private health companies and drugs companies around the world does not instil confidence. A private healthcare system is not safe from fraud and abuse. Here's an unedifying little story from the US from September 2017 as quoted in an article by David Lindorf in the London Review of Books.
2: Amerisauce Bergen was fined $260 million by the US Food and Drug Administration for emptying glass syringes of expensive cancer drugs and reloading the drugs in slightly smaller doses into cheap plastic syringes before distribution to oncology centres. This process, apart from being fraudulent, led to floaters and bacterial contamination, putting at risk the health of thousands of cancer patients.
0: There's the profit motive at play for you right there. Anyone who's had cancer or knows anyone who's had cancer is acutely aware that a person's immune system is severely compromised and that contact with germs can be life threatening. Insurance or out-of-pocket based systems are hugely inefficient compared to universal healthcare systems like ours and don't provide the best care for patients. The Commonwealth Fund charts this in its regularly published Mirror Mirror Graph that compares the performance of healthcare systems around the world. Insurance-based systems by default are enthralled to the financial imperatives of business economics It is not in the interests of insurance companies to take on the risk of a person developing an expensive and complex condition or a person born with a condition that would need lifelong treatment we come back to this a bit more in episode two to compare the costs of our health service with north america's private system i've got some interesting statistics here that tell quite a story in 2016, the US spent $1.1 trillion, that is 31% of its total healthcare spending, on admin costs alone. The UK spends between 8 and 12% at the moment. The UK spends $4,000 per person a year in providing healthcare for everyone in the country, when the US spends $10,000 per person, and that leaves 27 million people uninsured and often unable to afford to see a GP. I have talked quite a lot about the US system in this episode. In future episodes, we will be looking at other systems around the world. Some say that we cannot afford the NHS anymore. Figures like that tell me that we can't afford not to. The fact is, the NHS was introduced at a most desperate and cash-strapped time in our history. Around the world, there are examples of universal healthcare systems being introduced in very impoverished countries and regions. These show that universal healthcare spawns dramatic economic growth and stability. For example, in 2001, Thailand introduced a 30 baht maximum charge, about 30p per medical visit, with exceptions for the poorest 25% of the population. This led to a reduction in the infant mortality rate from 30 per thousand in the year 2000 to 11 per thousand in 2017, and a life expectancy from 68 years to 74 years, whilst very importantly equalising the mortality rate between rich and poor. 40 years ago, the state of Kerala was one of the poorest states in India. Now with universal healthcare and universal education, it has the highest per capita income among all the states of India. Many other countries and states in the developing world have introduced basic universal health services that lowered infant mortality and hugely increased life expectancy. In countries like the UK, we have been able to go well beyond that and still have one of the cheapest systems in the world, providing sophisticated treatment for complicated conditions. A strong practical argument for centrally organised universal healthcare systems, like ours, is in the control of disease. Countries with healthcare for all can eradicate devastating disease through immunization programs and the spread of disease can be swiftly and effectively controlled. The outbreak of Ebola in West Africa could have been rapidly and cheaply dealt with by a universal healthcare system and saved a lot of lives, but also cost to other countries in having to put in place protective measures against spread of the disease. There are so many practical and economic arguments for universal healthcare systems. Let's not lose ours.
1: Mr. Mark Steele.
2: You so know what? This is
4: the question about the NHS and about so many other things. Where's the money gone? We used to have money in this country for shit like that, but now they go, oh, we can't afford it. We could afford it in the 1920s. We could got all fire engines and libraries and schools, but it's gone now. We can't. Where's it gone, the money? And then they've got an answer for where the money's gone. I'll tell you who's got it. Who's nicked it all? The poor. That's who's got it. <laughs> They're the ones who've got, they've swiped it, they've taken it all, the poor, look at them, roll, look at them tramps, rolling it, covered in gold, they've got it all. We can't take it back off the rich, they haven't got two apes to rub together, they're skimp, it's the poor who've got it all, all of it. So like every day you get articles in the newspaper saying things like, what about that woman in a council estate in Cardiff, have you seen about her? 137 kids she's got, every single one of them on benefits, every single one. Now they've brought a giraffe and the giraffe's on benefits. And, <laughs> And now they've said that the giraffe's getting a crick neck because the ceiling's too low. So, so the, the council's put them up in St. Paul's Cathedral and, and now one of the kids has got compulsive snooker syndrome so, so now the, the state has given them a full-size snooker table but the mother says she can't be referee because she's allergic to white gloves. So the mayor comes round and counts up all the points for him otherwise he'll be put in jail by Europe. I suppose the health service is in a way the the sort of best example of the, the arguments that there have been over the last few years about how society should be run in Britain or around the world. Should it be run in such a way that a few people can make a profit? Indeed, that seems to be the way that loads of people now think that's the only way something can run. If, it's, if there's not someone making money out of it, the thing will just dissolve like it's some sort of law of physics. Uh, or should it be run because, well, this is this seems to be the best way of, of running it. Not just making a profit, but for everybody equally. And the health service is, is the most obvious example of something that clearly not only is much more efficient if it's run collectively with everybody paying in an amount that they can afford and people using it as and when they need it. Uh, and And not just in order to make someone very rich. And most people in Britain accept that and go, yes, of course, that's brilliant. And it should, you know. And All the arguments that you get about everything else, you, well, if something, if someone isn't making a profit, then it simply isn't going to work, or people will just steal off it, things like that. You know, they'll go and take more than they need. People will just go to the hospital every week and say, I need a kidney operation. It's free, I might as well have it. I'm an idiot not to have a, a liver out. It's free. Get in and get your liver out. They do it for nothing. Of course people don't do that. I don't think, anyway. But where's it gone? So that's it now. Everything, everything now. It's got to be, oh, you've got to have business people coming in. You've got health service, everything. Everything's got to be paid for, profit, everything. Every little thing. And it encourages all the worst in people, doesn't it? All the, why should I pay? Why should I pay for the for health service? I'm not ill, those people. Why should I pay for a library? I don't go to the library. Why, I'm, not, I'm not on fire. If you want to be on fire, you pay for the fire engine. <laughs> Everything like that. Lamp posts soon, they'll have little meters in. You'll put 5p in the lamp post. It'll give you just enough light to get to the next one. <laughs> Why should I pay? Why should I pay for your light? I was indoors. I've got me own torch. <laughs> Thanks very much, and thanks very
0: much for coming along. Mark Steele, there he brought the house down at the Hackney show. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. This is all complicated stuff; it certainly does my head in. I hope we've answered some of your questions, or at least begun to explain some of what is going on in our NHS. Hopefully, you've been interested and entertained enough to join us for the next podcast in about a month's time. Please like and subscribe and join us next time. Bye bye.